1: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore. I'm the director of communications at the National Cannabis Industry Association. Today, I'm happy to welcome my guest, Harry Bernstein. He's the executive director of Verde Compliance Partners. As general counsel of a beer and wine wholesale distributor for nearly two decades, Harry handled all legal matters, including contracts, franchise agreements, labor negotiations, as well as state and federal licensing and compliance. And for the last 19 years as an attorney, he's assisted individuals with healthcare matters and special needs, including representing clients at federal administrative hearings at the Social Security Administration. His company Verde Compliance Partners is a national consulting firm focused on guiding clients through federal cannabis permitting and regulatory compliance. The firm prepares and navigates cannabis growers and processors through the regulatory, legal, and administrative requirements necessary to comply with current and future federal regulations. The team consists of senior level experts with decades of experience consulting in federal, state, and local permitting regulation and compliance in the cannabis alcohol and tobacco industries. Harry, welcome to the show today.
2: Bethany, thank you so much for uh, inviting me and for having me.
1: Wonderful. So in addition to what we've already covered, let's learn a little bit more about you and your background and other things that you've done in your career before moving into this cannabis realm.
2: Right, right, right. You've mentioned quite a bit of it, which is great. But uh, it, it, as you said, um, my background was really in the uh, beer and wine industry. Our uh, family, my grandfather, uh, started our comp- his company in 1933 when they repealed alcohol prohibition. So there's a lot of similarities here. Um, when uh, alcohol prohibition was repealed, uh, a lot of the beer companies went to ice houses, and he was an old ice man who carried those blocks around on his back. So I worked in the beer and wine business for many years, started as a kid in the warehouse and worked my way up through the sales department. And then when that industry, like a lot of others in the 90s, started to consolidate, we kind of saw the writing on the wall. Um, breweries and wineries and liquor companies were merging, and they really did not want to work with local distributors and pretty much said, "It's it's time for you guys to get out of the business. Fortunately, I had my law degree because... Again, that industry is extremely regulated and it was something we thought was necessary to have somebody in-house with a law, law background. I took that degree and started my own practice, um, did some consulting for those industries, uh, did uh, uh, a lot of employment and workers' compensation law. And then I kind of morphed my practice over the years to working with people in the disabilities community. Uh, and that was pretty much what I was doing and still do a lot of that helping people when I sort of kind of slid into the cannabis industry it's 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 something that's a little bit uh, a different way of getting here so
0: um, yeah
2: absolutely, that's, that, that's my
1: primary background yeah that was a little bit of hopscotching around a lot <laughs> a lot of different industries and roles that's very interesting as well um, so let's talk about that slide into the cannabis industry like what was that like and what was your relationship with the plant, as we like to say?
2: Right, so it really wasn't on my radar. I had enough going on, although it was starting to creep into the social security area because of the conflict with federal law there. I had uh, clients not in Ohio to that point because we didn't uh, legalize it for medical in the 2015. But there were clients legally treating it in their state using cannabis, but under Social Security law, you can't be using any um, uh, illegal illegal drugs and still receive benefits, so there's clearly a conflict there. But again, I really didn't have an idea as to what was it going on and in digging into it. But when Ohio did pass in 2015 a medical use bill, I had some family members who were open-minded but did come from that reefer madness generation and said you know my doctor's telling me to look at this well he's not telling you he's recommending <laughs> they can't tell you and I started to research it and I saw some of the issues out there um, whether it be with the extreme limits that Ohio was putting on 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 the product itself and the dispensaries um, even ohio would let us go to neighboring states before dispensaries were open and some of those things i, I i'm walking in and i'm scared as a parent at the time my son was you know 14 13 years old and i'm worried because these people working the dispensaries really didn't know what they were talking about so again i started to, to throw ideas around and then when 2018 and the farm bill hit i started to potentially see some opportunities for consulting with, with, with companies and uh, and that's where I started looking into it a little in depth um, and then 2020 comes around and we see the Democrats gain full control of legislative and administrative branches and and I think, you know legalization uh, or I shouldn't say and I don't like that term myself, ending federal prohibition in reasonable regulation on the federal horizon was coming now now. I think we, a lot of us were a lot more optimistic in 2020 than we were in 2021, <laughs> but that's that's something else. Mm-hmm. So I, I I met with some colleagues of mine who came from the government side, um, and said, you know, am I crazy, or do you think this is how it's going to play out? That at some point the federal government is going to legalize it. When they do, they're going to create a dual system of if you want to go the medical route, you'll go through those protocols and FDA. If you're going to be, uh, we're going to we're going to Regulate adult rec like we do alcohol and tobacco under the Department of Treasury's Alcohol, Tobacco, um, at Tax and Trade Bureau, and and we were of the same thinking that this is going to happen, and that's how we formed the idea from the company. Time means everything. COVID hit, so we mm-hmm. put the launch on back burner, but then last year we really launched it and 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 started working. With not only cannabis licenses, but we found a lot of cannabis related businesses are coming to us and say, what's going to, what are your experiences at the federal level? What do you, what can we expect? And, and, Mm -hmm. And that's really how I got here. It's just, again, taking the skills we had and applying them to cannabis because we see that as a similar, and I say similar, I don't say the same, but similar products that can, as recreation, and I don't like recreational use either. For adult use, can be used to enhance your life, but they can also be used for medical treatment. And, and there, and there is al- certain forms of alcohol that are used in prescription medicines. So mm-hmm. um, that's yep. how we're here. That's the Very long short interesting, story. interesting.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We at NCIA also prefer the term adult use over recreational as well um so totally get that uh, uh as as we're trying to compare to these other industries with you know somewhat similar regulations as we're looking looking toward you know national decriminalization and so on so currently it is the year 2023 believe it or not and like you mentioned <laughs> the farm bill in 2018 and it feels like that was just a couple of years ago but actually it was more like 5 years ago right um so here we are in 2023 and your company is launched and moving along what are your goals for this year and just tell me a bit more about what your company is up to well I, I, again
2: our our goal is really to educate people and i think that's that should be the goal and that's certainly what a great job ncia does they're an incredible uh resource for education and what we're trying to explain to our clients and and to NCIA members today, or any other podcast or, or news news interview we do, is that it's common. You can certainly you can certainly wait until a bill is written, and then ninety days later, regulations are written, and then you can try to do what you need to do to get a federal license or comply with whatever the system's going to be. Uh, what we're trying to say is, this is the way the U.S. government operates. They're not going to reinvent the wheel. Yes, cannabis is different. But we think we can help you because of our experiences in, in the alcohol industry as much as anything else. And, mm-hmm. I, and I really think, and when you look at the, the bills as they're written, and it was interesting because when, when Representative Mace put forward hers, I, I, I picked up right away that she is really specifically, and she, called, and, and she wants to treat cannabis like alcohol. And again, I'm fortunate enough. I happen to live in in Representative Dave Joyce's district, and there's been no better proponent for the product um, than Dave, especially when you look on the side of the aisle he's at. So these are conversations we'd be having. I know a lot of people aren't optimistic, but I am optimistic because I think this, we know number one is the one issue most voters will support. And number two, it's got support on both sides of the aisle. And it's really not going to alienate too many people if they come to a reasonable compromise. Um, so that's where we're at. Again, they say the best day to prepare was yesterday. The second best day is today. <laughs> there's lots of things. There's lots of things you can start doing today, um, even without knowing what the bill is, but knowing knowing who you're going to be working with in the federal government.
1: Absolutely. Makes perfect sense. And I I love that phrase that the the best time to start preparing is yesterday. But if you're a little too late to the game, there's always today. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. All right. Let's take our first commercial break. And then let's come back after the break and take a little bit more of a deep dive into what some of that might look like. Uh, We'll be right back. Stay tuned. NCIA's cannabis industry voice will return once we give a
0: voice to our sponsors.
1: all right we're back on ncia's cannabis industry voice and i'm your host bethany moore with ncia and i'm talking with harry bernstein of verde compliance partners so to dive right in the cannabis industry has a plethora of regulations to follow compliance is the name of the game it's so crucial. Um, In fact, some operators, if anyone's been listening to this show for the last six years, you've heard me say cannabis is more heavily regulated than plutonium. (laughs) Uh, So let's start by talking about some of these complicated and challenging regulations that cannabis operators are already dealing with at the state level, uh, since it is currently still illegal at the federal level. What are your thoughts on that, Harry? Yes,
2: yes. So um, I, I'll, I'll go back a little bit to the to the alcohol comparison. Mm-hmm. So when alcohol prohibition was repealed under the 21st Amendment, they specifically gave the states the rights to regulate Alcohol sales and production within their borders, which again, it's, it's directly similar to what's going on now, except it's happened vice versa. The states are creating their rules, and then they're kind of waiting for the government to 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 give them the, the federal government to give them give them the go ahead. And well, they're not even waiting; they're just doing it. So, I think it can be done, but I also think you need some some federal oversight. I, you know, there's a lot of things the states. This is what they do. They usually wait for the federal government to create the regulations and then they they kind of go from there. So they had to develop their own and obviously California, Colorado, Oregon came online first and they did some things and then a lot of people, a lot of states copied those things and then other states learned from those things and didn't do similar things. Right. So I think like anything else, it's, it, it's, it's going to be streamlined. It's very difficult. There's a lot of um, constantly changing things. You're going down... The states gave extreme power to the uh, municipalities, which they usually don't do. But in a lot of states, and municipalities are, are uh, the regulations are affecting the business uh, pretty significantly. Um, yeah. So, so yes, to some extent, it is more heavily regulated, and I want you know I can't speak to plutonium, but certainly more than <laughs> alcohol. Yes. But it is very similar to alcohol. But but what happens is, and you found this. And, and, you, and you see this as a real problem is without federal overstate, when you have multi-state operators, they're really put in a bind because, you know, they're dealing with one set of regulations over in California, another set in Ohio, a third in Michigan, and a fourth in Massachusetts. So, so those are the operations that are more difficult. Generally, they have more resources and more lawyers, though, so they're able to do that. So, um, and again, point being is it'll eventually eventually work itself out because alcohol has been doing it for 90 years, the alcohol industry. So it'll, it'll eventually get through it, but they do need some oversight and some guidance for the federal government. And frankly, these businesses need access to money too. We also don't know the 280 problem and, and the other issues going on with the stigma um, of the industry itself. So,
1: Right. Yes. We, we've got plenty of challenges and hoops to jump through and, uh, a, a mishmash of regulations depending on where you're operating and uh, you know I feel I feel for those multi-state operators who kind of have to almost reinvent the, the wheel when they move into a different state depending on what right. the rules look like yeah so I you mean, know one
2: thing I do want to touch on too and, and, and I don't know if you were going to get there um, is that to some extent, the industry also has to regulate itself. And this is what we learned from the from the alcohol businesses. If you get bad, bad actors out there, it makes you all look bad. So to some extent, and I know the industry is doing a much better job than when I first looked into it, again, with guidance from, from NCIA and, and other groups out there to say, hey, look, we're only going to succeed if we work together. And we, we got to stop these guys who are coming in for a quick buck. So sorry, sorry about yes. jumping in.
1: No, you're, that was an excellent point. And, you know, I have to stop and applaud the work that many of the NCIA committees have been doing to, yes. to set the stone and set the tone and set the standards and explore what kind of standardization and, and regulations make sense and, you know, allow us to run our businesses better, faster, stronger, smarter, and also protect public safety, you know, all of these things are important. So I am, I must applaud NCIA committees for all that they've been doing uh, toward that effort as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I mean, so as far as the next stage or next step in all this, we're all just, you know, chomping at the bit for federal legalization. What do you think is going to happen on the regulatory side when that happens? Like, there are states that are more established with a, a cannabis market, would they need to make huge changes, or could there be a smoother way to balance out the state regulations that that state already has with any new federal regulations? How does that work? Well, what will primarily happen, and
2: uh, in, in, again, we're going on the assumption, I think it's a pretty strong assumption at this point, that it's that cannabis will primarily be regulated by uh, Tax and Trade Bureau, along with potentially some USDA and and FDA. Um, I don't think that the states will, the the feds are going to require the states to change anything. I think they're going to say states do what you want. Um, So to that that effect, I, I think to the license holders, to some extent, it's going to be a simpler process than dealing with the state because really when it comes to regulating alcohol and tobacco, the federal government's concerned about public safety. Um, They're concerned about trade practices. They don't want unfair trade practices. And they're concerned about um, collecting their tax money. They don't put caps on licenses. So yeah, you might have to get a license for every operation you own, but you're gonna have to get a license. Again, that's no different than Budweiser which has breweries all over the world. They have separate licenses for St. Louis and Columbus and and L.A., Um, so that's going to be the same. What I would say is you're going to have to do a really, if you're a cannabis license holder, a really good job of keeping good records on who your owners are, your managers are, anybody with means and control. And when I say owners, it's generally 10% or more in equity because that's where the government, the feds, will do a deep dive. Into, into the people here who have control. They wanna make sure that people with certain types of, and we're not, and we're a, actually, we're not even talking about any type, I should say any type. Generally, we're not talking about any type of uh, uh, illegal drug conviction. They're looking more at fraud and violent crimes and tax crimes than they are. So keep your records up to date. The other, other thing is you're gonna to wanna to have a real good record of the source of your funds. Where did the funds come from to start your company? Again, they don't hand out licenses to people who generated their income from illegal activities now that's going to be a great issue i think that's going to be worked out um and then be and then become familiar with you know again department of treasury tax and trade bureau the alcohol tobacco and it's still called alcohol tobacco and firearms um mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and uh and 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 find out how those people do of things death. Because, <laughs> yeah well
1: you know that that show thank you for yeah, smoking right our movie right. <laughs> sorry go well on. that
2: goes back that goes back to elliot Ness's. you know because when the again prohibition created crime we all know that yes. so not only did we get when we when we ended prohibition we had to create a new group of law enforcement individuals to to, to undo what they did through the prohibition of alcohol so um and again, I think a lot of these, I really don't, think, I think if you close the door and turn off the media, you would have had a cannabis uh, uh, ending ending prohibition bill already. The problem is, is there's too much, too much playing to the TVs and, and we know how they talk. Sometimes, you know, politicians have to be accountable for certain other things. But honestly, I think the biggest differences right now between passing a cannabis, people not passing, are working out details on taxes and social equity. Um Yeah. 75% are probably just, they understand the product. They understand it's a useful product and and it's not, it's not the devil's lattice.
1: Right. Yes. Oh gosh. So many interesting names have been generated for (laughs) cannabis over the years. Um, Yeah. Thank you for that breakdown. Uh, We're going to jump and take our last commercial break and then we'll come back and wrap up this episode with Harry from Verde Compliance Partners. So stay tuned. We will be right back. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm talking with Harry Bernstein from Verde Compliance Partners. And uh, before we talk about uh, lobbying, which is a really fun thing that NCIA encourages its members to get involved with every year. I want to ask if you have any other advice for both established cannabis operators as well as those who are just starting the licensing process or are licensee hopefuls uh, in emerging markets like, oh, New York is like the hot new state now, right? What what do you think there about any any advice for cannabis operators?
2: So what I would say is it's probably kind of going back to the, the, that comment I made about starting on the second day and the first day. It's probably easier for the people just starting out because they can gather all the information they need at one time. You are going can gather a lot of what you gather for your state is also going to be required for the federal government. Once you gather that information, but additionally, you're going to have to gather other information for the federal government that you don't have to gather for of the state, again, depending on the state. Familiarize yourself with what um, both entities require, both the federal and state government, and start start working on it and put those things together. Keep them in separate files, keep them in the similar database, however you feel you can handle it best, but you'll be ready again once the federal government starts to finalize what their regulations are gonna be. As far as existing operations, I would do the same thing as well, Um, but I would even take it a step further and say, be real. You want to get a real good handle on all your ownership and management people because you don't want to apply for a federal cannabis permit, find out somebody has a five year old tax conviction on their record, and they're not going to give you a permit for your $20 million cultivation operation in California. You wanna find it out now so you can make any business arrangements you need to do so that you have that clean record going in um, to the federal application permit. And then obviously uh, the, uh, the plug for myself, make sure you call if you've got any confusion, always feel free to reach out to a, a somebody who's experienced and can help you with all of these matters too.
1: Gotcha, yeah great great advice there um so to switch gears for the last couple minutes of the show here um lobby days is coming up again ncia's 11th annual cannabis industry lobby days this is an opportunity for business owners in our industry to meet with congressional offices and talk to the staffers about our challenges and what we would like to see happen with our industry and to garner support for some of the pieces of legislation that um, they may not be co-signers of yet, but typically we do see a surge of additional names being added to these pieces of legislation once they get a chance to meet cannabis industry operators. So I know you were able to join us in September, 2022, just a few months ago for the 10th annual. Uh, I love DC, I'm from the DC area as well. (laughs) it's so great to be there and um, it's, a, it's a powerful feeling. What was your experience?
2: Yeah, and I love DC too. I, uh, about a half dozen of my best friends from college live in that area, they came from that area. Um, I really enjoyed it and I'll tell you for a few reasons. Number one, I met some great people in DC. And, and, and again, um, even in the in the beer and wine business, when you go to the conference, I'm not knocking the speakers, but you get more out of meeting the people in the business and just having conversation with them. And the team I was working with, we just we just mixed really well together. Um, I really enjoyed it because I used to do it when I was in the beer and wine business. And it was like riding a bike. You don't forget how to do it. Not much has changed outside of security. Um, but again, uh, starting in the late mid 80s. Um, people really began attacking the alcohol beverage industry. You know, they they accused us of putting drunks on the road and killing their kids. And same similar stories you hear in the cannabis business. And we knew. And at the time, the beer, uh, there was a beer distributor in every district in the United States. And at the time we figured out we had good leaders of our associations. That's what it came down to. Again, working together, setting aside differences between competing breweries and competing you know the beer guys worked with the liquor guys work with the wine we went to Columbus and we went to DC and we spent a lot of money holding events for these legislators but also personally lobbying them and explaining to them number one we're good people number two um, our product is a good product number three we generate a lot of jobs and revenue for you guys yeah number four it's got the support of of the American public. So look, don't let a few people who aren't dealing in facts and science tell you lies. And then again, it comes down to, and and I made this comment when I was sitting with the guys as we're talking to to the Congressman is, look, it's all about education and salesmanship. And when I say salesmanship is you've got to sell these guys on the concept that it's good for them and it's good for their voters. Now, how's it good for them? Keeps them in their position and it's helping their public keeping the public safer, and it's generating jobs and revenue. You, you can't get much simpler than that. And again, gotcha. you're, you're right, Bethany, they start to listen. It takes time, but they start.
1: Yes, it's it's a long game conversation with Congress for sure. <laughs> but yeah. we do make progress. We absolutely do. Well, thank you so much for that insight. And I appreciate having you on the show today. I hope you can join us in May, uh, May I'm 16th, 17th, already. and May 16th, 17th, and 18th, 2023, we'll be yeah. back in DC, and of course, we are continuing our event series of evening networking receptions across the country between now and then as well. Uh, we were just in San Francisco, LA, and St. Louis, Missouri, and throughout march and april and may will be in several other cities as well seattle boston miami portland oregon new york chicago detroit oklahoma city so uh i encourage ncia members and non-members alike to register for as many of those events as you can and harry thank you again for being on this show where can people find out more about your company
2: uh, yeah. Just go to Verde Compliance, V-E-R-D-E Compliance, C-O-M-P-L-I-A-N-C-E dot com. Verde Compliance You can reach out to me through the NCIA's bulletin boards and website as well, and then my email is harriet@verdecompliance.com. As I said, just just shoot us out a memo, a call, and. Now, yeah, it was funny when the world went to Zoom, we, we were already prepared because we do business all over the place, so.
1: mm, Gotcha, great. All right, thanks again and thanks to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. Until next time.